our next guest is here in central New York. Uh, sources indicate he'll probably be spending a little time at the lounge with Caesar Sport. He's a Syracuse alum. He is on the airwaves of the mighty WFAN in New York. You're going to see him on your TV. Start spreading the news. Coming up soon as well. He's everywhere. He's on the Twitter. I'm leaving today. He's watching the Tankathon go down in Miami for his Dolphins. And he's watching the New York Yankees advance. New York, New York. Danny Dimes time with the Giants. Hey. Sam Darnold's coming back for the Jets. A lot to talk about with John Jastrzemski. We call him JJ. He's back, baby. What's up, JJ? How you doing? Hacks, man. All is good, bro. Life is good. The Yankees back where they belong in the American League Championship Series. And I got to admit, I checked out the sports lounge being built the last time I was up in the 315. And let's just say I'm looking forward to getting back to the Turning Stone. I just know the next time I go up there, I'm not going to get an Uber at 4.30 or 5 in the morning on a Tuesday morning. That was, uh, <laughs> that was tough to kind of orchestrate. I realized I was not in the tri-state area. But, you know, after 45 minutes and a couple more shoes at the crowd stable, I was able to find my way back to the uh, campus life, if that, you know what I that's mean. That's just it. <laughs> JJ, they got to keep you there longer. Any way that they can, and now that there's a sports book there, that Uber is going to take an hour and a half to get out oh, there. Oh, I know. Anything can happen. You know that, act. Anytime you find your way to the turning stone, anything can happen. Listen, look, the Yankees are are back and good for them, but can we stop? Can we put a rule in that the Yankees can't play the Twins anymore in the postseason? This is just boring at this point. Like, you know, do not pass go, or I should say the other way, automatically pass go, don't even play the games. Like, is there an intentional walk in the playoffs? Like, this is it's a waste of time when the Yankees and Twins play. What is going on with this? And it's funny, Axe. Look, I still was of the mindset the Yankees are going to find a way to win this series. They have a deeper lineup. They have a much better bullpen. But I thought Minnesota's lineup would give the Yankee pitching some trouble. That really did not happen. And, yeah, now it's to the point when you see the Yankees and the Twins matching up come October, until you see Minnesota find a way to get it done, until you see Minnesota actually get past the New York Yankees, there's no way in the world you can absolutely make that case. Look, the Yankees were a better team. They dominated this series. They did everything they needed to do. But, yeah, that hex is absolutely real. Death taxes and the Yankees just beating up on the Minnesota Twins. You know what impressed me about the Yankees? They hit a few home runs. Don't get me wrong, but the pitching was there. The defense was there. You look at Glaber Torres and his play last night. So it's interesting because the Red Sox were kind of known for the same thing last year, J.J., just all the runs and piling up numbers. But when they got to the postseason, it's the all-around things in the game that come through. So those that say pitching and defense don't matter anymore, no, you still need that to win in the postseason. Well, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, if you look at the Yankees' starters ERA, even though they didn't go particularly deep in the games, it was under three. The bullpen ERA was fantastic. And actually, you're so right. The biggest key in Game 3, to me, was twofold. It was Luis Severino getting out of bases loaded, nobody out in the second inning and putting up a goose egg. And it was spectacular Yankee defense, that two-way play with Glaber and DJ LeMayu. Aaron Judge making a spectacular catch out in right field. And I think a lot of people lose sight of how great a defender he is. And then in the ninth inning, when Aroldis Chapman was sitting on the bench you know, for 20 or 30 minutes, for Dita Gregorius to make that play at shortstop, a ball that I thought for sure was ticketed into left center field. I mean, these are the little elements, those factors that maybe don't get talked about nearly enough, 
that you need to have if you're going to win a world championship. Stupendous Yankee defense and caught Yankee hitting. They hit 333 with runners in scoring position. That's something they didn't do a year ago against Boston. Not a stunner to hear that Mickey Calloway is no longer the manager of the New York Mets. Uh, here, the Mets have another opportunity to put the right guy in place. So who is the right guy to be the next manager? I mean, I'm not getting cute. Actually, if I'm the Mets, I'm going to get myself a proven winner. Um, Joe Girardi won a world championship with the Yankees. Joe Girardi would be the ideal choice. If they went with a guy like Buck Showalter, I think Buck Showalter's won every stop along the way. There'd be nothing wrong with that. And I get it. We've seen guys who've never managed before work out. I think Aaron Boone and Alex Cora are perfect examples of that. But if I'm the Mets, I'm not going in that direction. I need a guy who's going to give me instant credibility. Girardi, Showalter, choices like that. That's, to me, the direction the Mets should head in. Sam Darnold is back for the Jets. And that's nice because the Jets season is already spiraling into into nothingness. But I guess it's it's pretty cool they got the quarterback back. Or can he turn this thing around and at least make it a respectable season? The good news for the Jets is the schedule will ease up quite a bit in the second half of this year. But unfortunately, it only four. The idea of envisioning this team getting back into a race, that's really hard to believe with New England being New England, with the Buffalo Bills off to a 4-1 and one start. The Jets right now dug themselves too deep a hole, but the future of the franchise is Sam Darnold. They need Sam Darnold back on the field, and I was getting sick and tired of watching an offense that was putting up 150 or 170 in total yards that actually see you know some semblance of offense, a chance they can actually move the ball. Yeah, it will be refreshing. They'll be a sight for sore eyes. You know, I saw something interesting, JJ. It was actually during the, the Syracuse game recently, uh, Holy Cross last weekend. And it was an ad for multiple ads for Jets tickets. And I thought to myself, as bad as the Jets have been and as bad as the Giants have been, those fans are pretty dedicated. And I thought that those tickets were somewhat hard to come by short of, you know, StubHub and SeatGeek and all types of these things. So I I just kind of want to throw that to you. Are they having trouble selling tickets? Is this something that you've discussed down there? Because I was surprised to see them advertising for tickets, especially with the Patriots and Cowboys coming into town. They absolutely are. A couple of different reasons. Obviously, the PSLs that you're going to find in the lower level. And I also think, too, the overall fan experience, and this is something the NFL is going to have to be very, very mindful of, Let's be honest, it's a lot better at home when you can watch 10 zillion games. When you have the red zone, if indeed your game is out of reach, then you get to games where it's November, December, your team's out of contention. Do you really want to be sitting out in like frigid temperatures or freezing rain or whatever the case may be? I mean, we look up in Buffalo and those fans are great. I mean, the mafia, the 12 people through tables, they're having a great time and they're as passionate as it gets. But I do get the sense that, you know, the Jets being a bad franchise over the last couple of years, you combine that with better experience at home, you combine that with November and December in a Northeast climate, yeah, they're having a tough time trying to fill that building. You're absolutely right about that. JJ, Giants, Patriots, the Thursday night matchup. You can hear it right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse as Syracuse football plays Thursday night as well. So two games that uh, we'll, we'll be watching closely. 
First of all, the fact that Saquon Barkley might play in this game, it, I mean, he is not human. We need to determine what kind of species he is and what planet he's from because it ain't this one. Totally fair, although I would get the sense the Giants should err on the side of caution when it comes to Saquon Barkley. Anytime you play one of these Thursday night games, it's basically like getting a mini buy. And look, I know the Giants can try to sell you on the idea that they're somewhat in contention. They're not. They were thoroughly outclassed last week by the Minnesota Vikings. This is a game that's going to be very, very ugly for them Thursday against Brady Belichick in this top-notch New England defense. You get a chance to rest Saquon Barkley another week, even if he's telling you, I feel okay, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let him come back after another week and a half, basically, against the Arizona Cardinals. I think it's very, very dicey putting him back on the field. But again, you watch that injury against Tampa. You thought maybe it's season-ending. Minimum, it's going to be six to eight weeks. The fact that we're even you know, entertaining the idea that Barkley could be back kind of tells you something about his physical state. Now, you brought it up. They got a little bit of a dose of some humble pie against Minnesota last week, and that includes <laughs> Daniel Jones. Now, I think we all realized that was going to come. As electric as he was when he first came out, as impressive as he's been, things come back down to earth. Just ask Baker Mayfield that on Monday Night Football last night. So what did you see in that game that concerned you is going to be a long-term issue for Daniel Jones and the Giants that they'll have to deal with here going forward? Well, I just think it's the overall nature of the team. Look, Daniel Jones made some really good throws Sunday. He also missed some wide-open receivers. He also had some protection breakdowns on the offensive line. But my bigger issue with the Giants' acts is Kirk Cousins, the guy's basically been doing nothing all year, lit up that giant defense like Christmas tree. Dalvin Cook was able to do whatever the hell Dalvin Cook wanted to do. And they don't have a pass rush. They're weak when it comes to stopping the run. And they're weak in the secondary. I mean, they're just not a very good defense. So you're going to see a lot more of that as the Giants move forward throughout this year. They are going to be a team that is asking the young quarterback to do a lot. It's going to help when Saquon Barkley obviously comes back. But Look, if you're a Giant fan, it's about this young quarterback going through the first go-round of being an NFL starter. That, to me, is what this season is about. It's not the narrative of wins and losses, and I know that's tough for some to realize, but, I mean, the Giants right now in a loaded NFC, they're not exactly putting a team on the field that is playoff caliber. They've got an interesting schedule coming as well. Of course, the Patriots on Thursday, then you get a game seemingly on the easier side against Arizona. You go to Detroit, Dallas in the division at the Jets. <laughs> at the Jets, right? The Bears, Packers, Eagles. That stretch right there, JJ, is I think we're going to learn a lot about Daniel Jones getting three good defenses in a row. No doubt. And you go back to Eli Manning's first year. 2004, Eli Manning was humbled. I mean, Eli Manning had some performances where he looked like a deer in the headlights. And you mark my words, Axe, there will be a game or two where Daniel Jones, much like Sam Darnold, much like Baker Mayfield, much like any of these rookie quarterbacks, where the game maybe is a little too fast for them. It can happen. He's also going to have some games that are really good, like the one we saw against Tampa Bay. But the hope is that come next year and the following year, the experience of being out on the field makes him that much better because he went through it. JJ, one last thing for you here. I'm sure you saw the comments from Kevin Durant in an interview. Now, he's not even going to play this year, but still he's establishing himself there in Brooklyn, and it's like the coming 
you know, Messiah who's going to come save the Nets next season, and we'll see how it plays out this year with Kyrie on the court and the transition going on there. But I think Kevin Durant said something that we all kind of know to be the truth, but it, it holds more weight when he says it, and that is the Knicks brand doesn't mean anything to a younger generation. Enough time has elapsed that they have been relevant, that this whole image and brand, and, and it just doesn't carry any weight anymore, it seems. I think that's totally fair. And it has been basically for two decades. I mean, I go back to growing up in the 1990s when the Knicks were in the playoffs every year. They went to a couple of NBA finals, Ewing, uh, Allen Houston, Larry Johnson, Latrell Sprewell, you name it. And, yeah, for the better part of two decades, the Knicks have been one of the bigger jokes in all professional sports. So we've gone down this road plenty of different times with NBA free agents and why they are not choosing the New York Knicks. And, look, Kevin Durant had a chance to sign here. Plenty of other guys have had a chance to sign here. And they are choosing to go elsewhere. So building that winning culture, it's been a challenge. They got to continue to draft well. They got to hope that they hit on a couple of draft picks. That's how you change the narrative with the New York Knicks franchise because until they show that they are making that progress, no, players, when they have a chance to be a free agent, they're going to choose to go somewhere else. That's just all there is to it. So, JJ, where can we see you on TV coming up? Okay, so I'm in the green room right now. I'm sitting next to my guy, Worldwide Wob, who's probably sick and tired of me yelling and screaming, although he's going to have to hear me for another half hour. So uh, that's that's his loss. I feel sorry for him. But we'll be on with uh, Justin Ward and Maria Marino at 5 o'clock over at SNY. All right, my man. Great to see your smiling face on the TV. Great to hear your voice today with us. Uh, we'll keep following along. We'll uh, definitely catch up down the road. But really appreciate your time today, especially knowing uh, you got a TV deadline coming up, my friend. Listen, no worries, Zach. Anything for you, and uh, hopefully see you in Syracuse in a few weeks, and uh, I'll be going, hopefully, after the Yankee World Championship. That's what I'm hoping for. Can't wait to see it. It will not be a 5 in the morning, though. I can tell you that much. No, that it won't. Maybe <laughs> at, like, 2 in the morning I'll get you out of there. We'll see. We'll see. Thanks, buddy. That's our good friend, John Jastrzemski, WFANSNY. As well, follow him on Twitter for all the latest on New York sports. Let's break on that note. We'll do some hot takes coming up. It was ACC Media Day, as you can imagine. Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, Roy Williams, all the heavyweights were asked about the name-image-likeness debate going on in college sports. We will get into that. Stephen Bailey, top of the hour on Syracuse football. we got a lot more to do here. Hang in there.